Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Apostle. And I'm very excited for my guest today because I have Kelsey O. Daniels with us. Hi, Kelsey. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. I love having guests on who are revolutionaries who are writers and poets which you are who are artists in different ways and there's just something about that oh that creative brain that I just think is so important to be shared way more widely and I I've I've been following you for a little while and have been watching your kind of, I don't know if you would call them this, but I, I was watching one earlier and I'm like, oh, this is like a motivational video that, on Instagram where I was watching and I was like, yeah, I, it's making me feel really good too. And thinking about what I care about, what I don't care about, questioning, where do I stand? What do I let go of? Just you, you offer a lot of wisdom through the work that you put out in the world. And I feel really grateful that you're here, Kelsey. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Like it never stops being affirming, you know, when, when folks gather something from the little tangents that fall up my mind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that great? You just get to be you and like people are able to glean support, wisdom, hope, joy, all of it. I think that's, that's a real gift. So Kelsey, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Sure. So I introduced myself as an artist, organizer, baddie, scholar, um, mainly because I always say like, because I do a lot of shit and it's a lot easier to be like this, uh, all of it together um, at once. And so um, on the, and they never don't interact with each other, right? Like I'm going to show up at a poetry thing and still talk about some concept I learned in organizing, right? Or some decolonized sociological theory that I've been thinking about, right? Um, so my practice looks like a lot of things, but poetry is what I'm most known for and uh, working on standing full in like the fact that I'm also a singer and a mixed media artist, right? And it took me a long time to get to being able to say those things without asterisk, uh, <laughs> you know? Uh, but you know, part of the work of, we'll get into it, like dreaming is like, none of this is real, so make up your life as you see fit. Um, <laughs> and uh, my background in community organizing, I've done a lot of work in San Diego with local collectives like Black Lives Matter, March for Black Women in San Diego. And um, during the pandemic helped to launch a few different mutual aid collectives. And so I have a, a background and a lens around that. Um, baddie because I like to show up as my full self, you know, um, on the internet and beyond and scholar because I do have a background in sociology and I'm constantly thinking of of engaging with the world and even just like the concept of scholarship in this way that's accessible and isn't like stuffy um, because that's part of the reason I was being coached, groomed into going into the academy, and, you know, and it just didn't make 
sense for me in my world to do it like that. But I see the value of all of these things that I learned about and realize it doesn't have to be icky and like pretentious, right? Like these are, I think all of my friends are philosophers, you know, and it's just about the lens with which you like look at data and like wisdom, you know, being valued. There's nothing that's inherently different about a Socrates and a Plato and some of the amazing people that I follow on Instagram, right? Um, who are constantly putting forth theory. And so, yeah, like calling one of my friends started off calling me a baddie and a scholar. And I was like, I actually like that. And so I'm going to incorporate that into my life. Um, <laughs> and then I think the through line and all that I do is um, around dream work. And so I'm someone who believes a lot in engaging with dreaming as a ancestral wellness and liberation practice and that it's this um our imagination is is valuable data it's important in how we uh vision our world how we understand our history and we think of our future um and so i'm constantly thinking of like what does it mean to ground this as not just this like fluffy extracurricular like oh you get to dream when you've like checked off all the boxes that capitalism says is important but it is actually the through way to getting to what is necessary and i feel like my life has been a a crazy testament capstone experiment too <laughs> you know like to what it looks like to kind of surrender to this um so yeah i mean Kelsey, that's amazing. <laughs> when people ask me to talk about something, I'm like, there's a thousand things, but I hope I answer the question. I hope I'm at the prompt. <laughs> oh my gosh, you totally did. And I'm very excited to go deeper into dream work with you, like we were talking about before we started recording. I think this is an area I certainly know that I struggle with. And I know a lot of people I talk to struggle with this idea of how do we reimagine what we've never like what we don't even see as being problematic and like what like how do we begin to do that i just we're gonna oh i'm so excited to dive in with you around all of that but before we get there i'm really curious about your relationship with your journey with the word fat because on your instagram you also call you also kind of have labeled yourself as a fat black queer disabled femme and like just yeah again what is what has it been like walking the world with those identities and especially with fatness yeah it's so funny the universe is so interesting in in doing this podcast as i've been thinking and reflecting i do a lot of like looking at my facebook on the same memories right and instagram things just like curiosity of where i've been in this world around this time and realizing like i saw seven years ago i posted a picture of me at the beach in a swimsuit with no cover-up right and like i was like this is the like and it was a like one piece, um, but like, you know, this is the most exposed I've been at the beach and like, I didn't die, right? And I think of, one of the things that I, I'm constantly thinking of is this isn't like an overnight story, right? It wasn't just like I woke up one day and I was like, I'm gonna wear a two piece and just like, you know, suck it, you know? It, <laughs> it's been a journey and I think my coming into, acceptance and neutrality around my body has been a lot of like it's also tied to realizing like none of the shit that they told me I'm supposed to hate myself for is really real right and it and it's contrived but I think beyond that it's been a lot of me learning how to just like offer grace and revoke consent from like the way the world told me I was supposed to see me and being like this is who I am, you know, and like I'm with myself when the world isn't right. I'm with myself when like the people who hate fat bodies aren't, and I don't have to replicate that voice inside of me. Um, but it's been a long journey, and I think like looking at my, I was talking to my friends like wanting to do a project called the glorification pamphlets, and like <laughs> you know, like uh, my writings around it, but also just tracking some of my journey in like 
picture and these micro moments and not realizing like I was doing the small work, right? Like when I was wearing my babyest of crop tops, that was really just like a shirt that had like a little bit of air could go underneath it, right? Like it was beta testing, <laughs> you know, you know, moving in the world and like, and teaching myself bit by bit, like this is not just okay, but like, this is lovely. Like this is like, you deserve to be here. And, and not second guess. And so the space that I'm in now with my body is like, my body is a body and my body does body things. And like other people's experiences of it is not, it's literally not my business. And sometimes I forget how revolutionary it is to, to stand in that space where I have a poem called Jiggly where I talk about my belly and like, um, like learning to love myself. And it's so like, kind of like wrote, you know, sometimes like, you know, like I've done this poem, like I feel this way, but every time I do it, especially in a room where fat folks are or folks who live in larger bodies, like I know that I'm doing work on behalf of all of us, right? And saying the like thing that we're not supposed to say out loud brashly. And I'm doing it for my younger self who was terrified of being seen like terrified of of anybody even calling attention to you know my arm you know like or like anything that moved and jiggled and it's it, it's it's been a journey and it's not i think the other thing like why i love the language of like body neutrality it doesn't mean that every day that i love every iteration of what my body is doing right because i think like it's not the static state of like confidence where I'm like, you know, but it means that like, I will not hate myself into being right. And I don't consent to despising myself, um, on behalf of the, the whole, right. Like, you know, I don't believe in doing, picking up that work for them, <laughs> you know, like they, they got it, you know, if you want to do the, the hatred thing, like, I'm going to let you do that labor. I'm not going to do it on your behalf. <laughs> I love that way of thinking about it, Kelsey. It's like, I'm not going to do your job for you. Like, you can hate. I am not going to. And I love that phrase, revoking consent. That's like, that's a that's two powerful words together. I revoke consent. Because we've been given so much of this non-consensually. So much of so many of these beliefs like are especially around, well, all systemic oppressions, but for the purpose of this conversation, like around anti-fatness. I mean, I like you're saying, so many of us have spent decades, so many of us still do, no matter what size we are, feel a certain way about fat bodies because we've been indoctrinated into those beliefs. And so revoking consent is is badass to do. Yeah. And I don't give the nonprofit industrial credit a complex much credit, but like I think of like we talked a lot about like informed consent, right? Like, you know, when you work with like and like you have to be like you're mindful of like this is the thing that you're consenting to, right? And like I think a lot of us are not even aware of the things that we've we've consented to that we've been indoctrinated and, and abused into, quite frankly. Like we have been a few abused into um thinking that these things are just normative and it's just the way it is, the way it's always going to be. And it when you realize like, oh, I actually don't have to carry their torch for them. Like I don't have to do this system's job for them. Like they hate me. Like they they want me dead quite frankly, right? Like all these, not even just like physically, but they want me like spiritually and emotionally like dead and zombified and just like moving through the world, right? And like, when you're like, oh, actually, no, like actually like, uh, you know, unsubscribe from all emails, you know? <laughs> right? I'm curious, Kelsey, as you have been doing that work over time and you have unsubscribed and unsubscribed and revoked consent and revoked consent, from I'm just, I'm always really curious from like a practical perspective, has there been a backlash around that? Like has, I mean, the systems are designed to keep us, like you said, zombified. And so as we revoke consent, as we step away, like what do you notice 
happens? How does the system try to keep us? Um, well, I definitely know, and we talked a little bit about this before, like being a dreamer is also like tied to a lot of grief work and trauma work. And like, there's a lot of like, one, like being perceived as being naive and not tied to the real world, right? Like, um, that's a huge piece. There's a, a piece of just being aware and present of the ways in which like when you don't engage in this like you are also opening I don't want to say opening myself up to but like there are people who are going to go harder right I think um one of the things that it as like more level of like visibility comes like means more people who are going to have stronger opinions around um anything right and being able to filter that and, you know, filter that. And even like with an interpersonal relationships, being able to like realize there are people in my life who have consented to certain things and having to visit that doesn't, that's not a reflection of me that they are in this space, right? Because we have all been abused by the system. So like I have loved ones who still echo some like really fat phobic things. Um, while living in fat bodies, right? And having to be able to kind of just like hold it and not make it mine, right? And also see like this this is the the workings, you know? Um and how do I like create sacred space for me within this, right? Like to be able to like hold that all of these pieces. And it's not easy and I'm actively still working through it. I think the other thing too is that there is no other side like in this like pretty like before and after picture, right? And so it's always just like during and like making sense of it like day by day and like being like, oh, like there's an opportunity to pivot and like shift in how I'm approaching certain things because maybe how I approached it yesterday is not working for me, you know? Um, Yeah, I love that. Well, and I feel like that you mentioned something before that I feel like this is a good time to connect into it, which is you said, and I can't remember if we talked about this before, before, like before we start recording or during recording. So I'm just going to repeat it back, which was this idea that you are an example of like the experiment in surrender, the experiment of letting go, of dreaming, like your own trajectory, your own life. Can you say a little more about that? Like what, like how has that shown up for you? Because the word surrender, oh, ever since I learned, well, I mean, I've always known the word, but when I did my coaching training back in like 2014, this word kept showing up, Kelsey, and it really still pisses me off. I hate the word because it feels, I have so much baggage around this word. So whenever that word comes up again, I'm always like, oh, okay, there's another pointer for me to like find some peace with this concept. And then you're, and you're like, you used it as, as a really positive thing. And logically I can understand it. And emotionally my body rebels. So I'm so curious from your perspective on this journey of what surrender, what dreaming, what shadow work, grief work, all those things that you do, how has that shown up and like manifested in your life? Right. I want to say plus one to all the things that you said, because like, as, and this is where I like, I'm just going to the experiment and that doesn't mean that I'm not like being dragged consistently. <laughs> okay, um, <phew. laughs> You know, like, so... I always want to be like, because I think sometimes like wellness and spiritual people be like, I went through it and now I'm not like I am actively like, and I'm constantly like being, oh, this is what you did say, right? Oh, this is what you, like, this is part of the dream forget return. Like my words get returned to me and I'm like, okay, (laughs) you know, um, Thank you for saying that. I'm like, okay, it's not just me because I feel like I should be floating through this with grace and sparkles and da da and I'm like, not. I'm like kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just, I think my snapback time is a little bit quicker, you know, but that doesn't mean that I'm not 
you know, and like I will have moments that I'm reminded, like, breathe, like, you know, like, you know, because the human things like are going to come up. And I think that's been part of my journey, too, of like when I remember like okay i one of the things i told my friend is like my faith is like the data that i've never been like left without myself so it's not even just sometimes like you just have this like crazy like peace all the time it's like being able to like return to the peace of like i've made it through every ugly thing that like i thought was going to end me um and i have evidence <laughs> you know that i will be okay and how do i like not stress myself out about these future things and find some ways to give my energy to something that is life affirming sustaining like giving you know and that that's been a lot of it is a little background about my journey that i've talked about online um is i have dealt with housing instability for two years um the pandemic well just the pandemic like i lost my job at the very beginning got pushed out on some like ableist stuff right like and you know so that was the beginning and like i have gone through so many yucky things and also have one stayed alive you know and like been able to do a lot of really beautiful, meaningful things and seeing how this like puzzle has like come together. And a huge part of that has been in the midst of all these hard things, centering joy and play and imagination and dreaming and following these tangents. And it, it boomerang, you know, it, it's, it's connected and weave this like really interesting thing. And it's taught me a lot about the things that I, talk about right like and being able to even put that in perspective of like i'm not just spinning theory like i like a lot of this is coming up as a result of you know like some panic attacks that i've had in an airbnb and the the thing that has come through that <laughs> you know like of being able to to write this i have a poem called grandma's whisper to me in the middle of panic attack that is very explanatory of what like I was having a moment and like I sat down and wrote this piece and it has been an anchor for me, <laughs> you know, that has also like provided just context to a lot of the shit. Right. And being able to see the surrendering thing is like when I get into these spaces of overwhelm, being able to like even just remember to take a breath, you know, or allow myself. And this is kind of a piece you're talking about, like, being someone who's disabled, I have uh, a chronic illness and bipolar disorder, which means that there are periods of time where I am wiped out and drained and giving myself okay, like permission to be like, right now we're just in this yucky space. You know, we're in this like low energy space and that doesn't cancel out everything. And I think that's the piece too. Sometimes like we feel like all of like, we get into these moments and it cancels out everything else and i think the surrender is being able to say like no like you get to be all of you and you get to go through this part and keep going and you get to incorporate all of this data and understand that you don't have to understand it right now there's a lot of shit that only makes sense to me when i look at the memory six months after it happened you know yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you're reminding me of how much trust that takes. So what do you trust in, Kelsey? That's a big question. <laughs> what What do you, yeah, what do you trust? What is your anchor? I have a piece, a line in a piece like I trust that uh, God, my ancestors of the universe are conspiring on behalf of my greatest good. And I think that is, you know, the piece, right? And I trust that, like, not just the the cliche of everything happens for a reason, but that, like, the story of my life, like, exists in this greater context, you know? Um, and that there is purpose in, 
like I think I've written like in my journal, like I'm here on in and with purpose, right? And so that that is something that I have to trust that like even in these moments that I, I don't know what y'all doing. I don't, I don't understand this plot line. Um, the writer's room is really doing some interesting things right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, like trusting that like there, there's something worth, worth existing in around the corner, you know? And so having to like be like, and sometimes it's just, I'm crawling my way through, like, you know, I am <laughs> like, moving so slow you know but like there, there's something you know and that's where I have to like yeah I have uh, a saying that I say to myself in those moments where which is the universe is for me not against me and I find like I, I like that reminder it connects me out of my own immediate fear for whatever's going on and kind of like pulls me into the okay I can I can lean in and trust that there is, like you said, some greater purpose. There is something here for me. And I, I love that you mentioned slowness and rest, because of course, I imagine, I, I mean, I always think about Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey, and I just got the new deck. Did you see there's a new card deck? Ah! I love it. <laughs> I don't have it, but I plan on... Cause I wanted to get it at like a local bookstore, not like a Amazon. And so I'm still waiting to go get it. But, um, Trisha here, let me just say this, like is so ugh, great. And I think of like, in terms of like my creative family tree or like the, the lineage and legacy, like I appreciate the Nat ministry so much, um, for, uh, the work that she has done to um, just not, not even just like convey this message, but like live and embody this message and, and offer a possibility model for what it means to do this work and center it. Because I think that there is a way that people can like say out their mouth, this one thing and not actually move with it. But like she be doing Instagram lives laying in bed and I'm like, Yes, <laughs> like you know, or has talked about like her turnaround time, and even as I am dreaming into like I want to go on tour and like do things right. And I was telling my friends like I refuse to do the thing where people are like in New York one day and then in Atlanta the next day. I was like, what does it look like to budget out time for sleep? Like, <laughs> like what does it look like to budget out time for like actually being in a city? You know, and like I think of even just like those small tweaks that she's shared right of like what her her what it looks like for her to do her work effectively that honors her theory like you know like that honors her like chef's kiss like right? <laughs> you know i know i'm always so i'm so in awe of that and i feel like she's having a big ripple effect because what i'm seeing from people's like out of office messages or even just like a standard response to an email I might send. I'm noticing more and more I'm getting messages back like, hey, thanks for your message. My response time may differ from yours. I have, you know, I live my life at a different pace. Like people are actually claiming more space for themselves in more overt ways. And I, God, I love seeing that. And I, I'm terrible at it. This is something that I've had to get so much support on. And Kelsey, you'll appreciate this. My, so I work as a creative writing coach at a beautiful studio that I talk about all the time on the podcast called Firefly Creative. And I, we do these lights out weeks where three, I think it's three weeks a year, Firefly fully closes. We don't teach. We don't see clients. We don't send emails. We fully go lights out, except for me, because I was so gripped by hustle and grind culture. And I'd be like, great, no one's around. I can get all the work done. Like so connected to my past like corporate work life. And I was talking, I, we were in a team meeting and I said something about, oh, okay, well, I'll just send it, but you guys don't have to answer it. And then the founder, Chris, was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sophia, it is lights out week and that is purposeful. It is rest time. It is dreaming time. It is creativity time, it is imagining time. Like we do this very purposefully. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she said to the whole team, she goes, team, 
If Sophia sends you an email, you delete it. Hello, lovely. I'm jumping into the middle of this episode to let you know that I've started a newsletter on Substack because I've been craving a space where we can have more immediate connection, a space where I can share musings and various resources connected to fat liberation and fat joy. Um, and of course, the place where I can share behind the scenes details about fat joy, the podcast, the guests, all that good stuff. Um, as a thank you for becoming a subscriber, you'll get access to 55 bonus videos from guests as they answer 10 rapid fire questions. You can become a subscriber for free and there's an option to become a paid supporter as well for $5 a month, which will help me continue to make this podcast. You can see all the details at fatjoy.substack.com. No one's reading it. And so she took away <laughs> and it was... I have never forgotten this. this is a couple of years ago now because it was like I needed I'm so sucked in to grind culture. I'm working on it every day. I was so sucked into grind culture that I refused to take mandatory time off. And my basically the person who owns the company, the person I reported to, I report to for this contract was like, no. <laughs> Everything you do, your productivity will be deleted and does not count. But that's what it took for me to like wake up a little bit. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I, it's, it's, again, it's amazing how deep this stuff is in there. Like I didn't even question that this would be problematic until someone was like, hey, this is problematic. And you don't know. Like I'm standing, I'm, they, she took a stand for my rest. She took a stand for my dreaming that I wasn't taking for myself even. Yeah, I mean, it's because we're conditioned into this go, go, go. And like, when I say that this has been a journey too of like my background community organizing, I was, when I think about how much I did in 2020, just the month of June alone, I don't know how I made it. Right. And it's no, by February, 2021, like the, the beginning of 2021, I was burnt out, you know, like I, I just couldn't do, you know, like, and I was beating myself up for it. Right. But it's, but there's a part of it is because like, when you feel like there's a sense of urgency and what you're doing is important and, and is necessary and all these other things, right. Like being, I, pulled one of her cards at an event somebody had it and she was like you know like the world's not going to end you know but like in your mind you're like but it has to be done like if i don't do it who's going to like all these things like you build up this case of why it is so necessary to do it and it's very egocentric Right. Like it's very egocentric. It's very like, I am the only person. I am the center of the universe for this particular thing. Like it feels, I mean, it's ludicrous when I think about it now, you know, but at the time it just, it feels so urgent, so essential. So urgent, so necessary. And like being able to take a deep breath and move out of it is, is something that that is it's constant work and constant unlearning and i even look back and think of the ways that i contributed to that culture and the spaces that i was in because this is what i knew right like coming out of nonprofit spaces and like you know getting literally like shamed for not being productive you know and not meeting the standards of productivity and so like wanting to do a good job in the space that I cared about, right? Like, because I don't actually care about a lot of the productivity measures that they say matter in this space, but like, I want to do my best in this other space that I deeply care about and having to like, be like your best doesn't have to be, if it's extractive, it's not actually your best, right? And that's been a hard thing. If it's extractive, it's not actually your best. Like, but... We assume it in order for it to be the best, it must be extractive. Like we're so fucked up around this. It, we believe the opposite. 
And I've perpetuated that as well. And I feel there's some things I'm just remembering, as you said, you know, thinking about where you perpetuated this. I've, I was a sales director for a lot of years and man, if I could go back and treat my people differently, there were, there were things that just felt, well, of course you do this, even if you have this going on. I, you know, like it was just, it, it was, I was, and when you hold yourself to a standard, right. Of like, I'm going off through all of this and I'm doing it and not taking into account of like, that's also a trauma response, like hyper productivity, you know, it is a, and like, when you realize like, damn, they really got me fucked up like 360, like, you know, in all these different areas, like this is how, and she said, Trisha said something in her book, like, I will not let capitalism like get me or use me. I can't remember how she said it, but like, I do not give my body over to capitalism. I think that's how she, she phrased it. But like, when you have to, and this is, it goes in revolting saying when you realize like, I don't have to do this. I don't have to, consent to doing the work of this system through me right like are perpetuating it and like maintaining it in my body in my practices and and that's such a hard thing to ease out of i was um doing a an iteration of black dream experiment like by putting on a variety show last year um and i had to take a hard pause because i was drained and exhausted and I was like this it felt very close like I know what it's like to feel this way when I'm working at a job I hate right I know what it's like to do this when I'm organizing out of survival and like I feel urgency but I'm feeling the same way where I'm doing this thing that I love that's supposed to be the dream space right and I was like something isn't right like like we have to go back to the basics of what is what's going on with the way that I'm working and flowing that I'm still existing in this, you know, like this space. And it was so hard and so incredibly hard to walk away from this thing that was successful. It wasn't that like it was failing, you know, like it was doing well and I wasn't okay, you know? And I had to like think about, well, what is it that I need to center and focus? Um, to do this and like realizing it's really easy to say the values of rest out loud, right? And in like, cause that's one of the, the key things that I was leading with and saying like, these are the values, but the values weren't embedded in the action. It's like everyone else can rest, but I'm not going to. Like even just holding yourself to those values too. Yeah, and it and it's it's a journey to be able to say, um, and, and it requires, requires a trust in the universe that like the blessing isn't going to like only come through your once right like because that's a lot of things scarcity like has people in a chokehold because they're like if i don't take this shot then it's never going to come back around again and i'm going to waste my moment and went through a lot of hellish things but there was a piece that i knew of like if i like honor myself i'm not going to be punished and that's a hard thing to live out. Like, I don't believe the universe is going to punish me for choosing myself. And that's been part of my journey. Right. And I love that. And then the other side of it, of it is, but capitalism does want to punish you for resting for like, it's so extractive. And I mean, this comes, I, I feel like I have these conversations a lot with clients too around okay, so I don't want to drive my people this way. I don't want to drive myself this way. I know, and I still have to work. I still have to pay bills. So it's like, how do we balance the reality of living in oppression and oppressive, have systems of oppression that are designed to keep us here while also dreaming, while also envisioning different futures and take in, and I guess, I mean, I'm just, even as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, okay, I can think of ways where I'm doing this in small ways, which I guess is as much as I can do now. But is that enough? Like, take us into the dream work piece of this, Kelsey. Like, how does dream work pull us away? I don't even know if I'm using the right words here, but like, how does it counter? I'll use the word counter. How's the dream work counter what capitalism how capitalism wants us to think, act, 
feel, behave. Yeah, I think it it's it's also the small things, right? So part of why I also was like we have to like pause with some of the things that we're saying is because like I don't want this to turn to a prosperity gospel. Like I used to hate my life, and then like I started dreaming and quit my job, and everything is better, right? Like I was like, oh, I don't want. I was like, I don't want to become one of the 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 girl boss, like you know, like that type of piece, right? Because. Yes, you could say the trajectory of my life I was pushed out of my job and these things happened, but baby, I cried. Baby, I was nervous about how these bills are going to get paid, right? Like the reality of all these things still happened. And I think like it's the small things too. It's not about just like everybody go out and put their job, right? But it's also about like how you show up into the space. Like I like be a bad employee, <laughs> you know, like, you know, or like and not be a bad employee, like, you know, but like you don't have to give yourself fully to this thing and like even that small shift like you know or like being able to say like i matter outside of this thing like yes i i'm working this job as i'm on the path to doing whatever it is that i feel called to in my soul and spirit but while i'm here i know that my world is so much bigger than this thing yes our worth is not tied to it right and our worth isn't tied to the things that you can you can see, um, I <laughs> had an experience recently with a, a loved one who kind of alluded to like, what do you have to show for life, right? Like, um, it was hard, but I think of the thing is like, some of the mo- things that I'm the most proud of are not the things that are on my CV, right? Like, you know, the things that I, I fought for was one being an entity that is alive on this earth one you know like because there's a lot of you know opportunities for me not to be right and two like i'm someone who like has gone through hell and like still believes in in these things right and so like when you talk about like the counter and and what dream work means for me it means like honoring like the fullness of our humanity our purpose on this earth is not to just live and die like you know it's not to be born, give your body to capitalism and then not exist anymore, right? And it means like acknowledging all these frivolous things matter. You know, like that that is really the thing, like the things that your heart is drawn to, the things that you do to regulate, like that are generative and affirming, those things are data. Like those things are things that can reroute you, that can even show you the path of like what you actually are woken up and excited by right um and so often we're told that you can focus it's like you know like you can have your dessert after your dinner you can focus on all those things once you've earned it and my assertion is like actually it's opposite right like yes you can focus on the things to keep you alive but also like carving out time for the shit that like makes you feel alive is valuable it is it is the thing that helps us make it through this shit, you know? Um, they're, they're the keys that are going to help us, like, build the world that we need, you know? Like, everybody has a bag to get into. Like, everybody has a skill set, a, a thing that they do so important, like, you know, like, so well, you know, that is valuable that, like, you might not have been affirmed in, you know, but it's necessary holding spaces for people to write creatively is necessary being able to um we need cooks you know <laughs> you know we people who who like who pour love into the things that they create like what we saw over the pandemic too is like all of the the fruit fruit artists that we've been told are stupid or the ones who are keeping us like grounded right like people leaned heavy into art people leaned heavy into like self-care and wellness things to stay grounded and these are all the things that we're told are like what are they doing with their lives right you know yeah it's so true it's so true and you know, I, I, it's so interesting. This literally this morning, I had a conversation with a client, and it just showed me or reminded me again, like how far away many of us are from dreaming. Like she said to me, she's like, "I don't think I've dreamed or thought about what I desire in years." 
And I was like, oh shit, that's so true. Like I, like I felt, I felt the truth of that for me as well. This idea of that it like dreaming and envisioning things differently is actually quite vulnerable because I think there's a piece of, and you talk about this grief work, right? Like there is grief that goes along with that. And, oh, I, I'd love for you to share a little bit about grief work. Like what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? How does it accompany our work with dreaming, with kind of reconnecting to what we truly desire, that permission we give ourselves to desire that, I, again, gets really taken away from us? What role does grief have in all of that? I think when you realize all the ways that you were told that things wouldn't be possible, um, there's a grief even in like achieving some of the dreams that I've experienced, right? And thinking about how much I, I consented to the idea that this could never come, right? Um, and being able to like, damn. But also like the, the compounded grief, the ancestral grief of realizing like the things that were working against the people who raised me and, and being able to even envision something, right? And so thinking of like being able to hold the tension of like there are loved ones in previous generations who don't understand what I'm going down because it was never presented as a possibility to them, right? And so all they can see is the fear, you know, and and all of these things. And and there's a there's a healing work of being able to reconcile all of those pieces. Um and also like I've I said like there's a assault on our dream spaces and specifically thinking of like black folks who are the descendants of enslaved people, like who are the descendants of people who have lived through Jim Crow and all these things and all these things that actively conspire to say surviving is a privilege. Like you're lucky you get to be here. So like, don't get too big for your britches. Right. And, and that is a real psychic trauma, you know, like that is a real like spiritual and emotional piece. And so being able to hold all of that and then still envision beyond it and be able to say, I'm only able to imagine because some of my folks weren't able to move in the, the act. Cause I don't believe that none of, nobody doesn't imagine, right. It's about what we do with it and how we hold it as valuable. Right. Like, because I think like you might have it and then you'd be like, oh, that's stupid. But that doesn't mean that you didn't see it, right? That doesn't mean that you you aren't dreaming of it. It's just that we may not hold it as like valuable, right? And I think like when people talk about like my ancestors' wildest dreams, I don't think I am, one, I don't think that my ancestors dreamed of 401ks, like, you know, and all this other stuff. I think they dreamed of security and stability and people have confused that with the methodology, right, of capitalism is that is the only way to get it. But I think, like, I exist in the legacy of their dreams, right? Like, I get to dream. And I wrote in one of my poems, like, I believe that their biggest dream is that I make minds happen. Or one of their dreams is that I make minds happen, that I live in it, right? In a way, and embody it in a way that maybe they didn't have the access to do externally, Right. But that doesn't mean that they didn't have them. Oh my gosh. I like, I feel the heartbreak of that, of the, the loss of, I'm just thinking, I'm even just saying my own ancestors right now. And like, you know, <sighs> what are the words? I'm feeling um, a whole lot of stuff right now from what you said, like just the heartbreak, the loss, the grief of, seeing possibility but not being able to take any kind of action on it feeling like that's actually the impossible is doing anything about it and what a difference it is to do dream work now and feel like there are actions that you can take that's i mean that's a that's a profound shift kelsey yeah and it's yeah and I think it's there, my descendants are going to be able to take it a step further, right? 
And so ex- like I live in this lineage and it's not because sometimes I think, too, there's like this idea of like, I have to undo all of the work. I am, you know, the ounce that I have to, you know, and like that also is a space that moves us into hyperproductive, like hyperproductivity feeling like we have to, you know, I have to heal everything now. Like, you know, boot camp, like, you know, like, and and um something I've also been healing as a result of like a lot of the religious traumas with this time scarcity piece and feeling like I have to do everything now. And if I don't answer it now, it won't be answered because like the clock's going to run out. Um, super fun, uh, <laughs> you know, but like being able to say like, I am just simply by existing and moving through things internally, adding to the body of, work dream work that my ancestry has done and there are going to be people who take what i've done and run with it further and not just like in this like ancestry in terms of like the physical people that i come from but like collective right like i call audrey lord one of my ancestors like harriet tubman is my girl like (laughs) you know like um you know, and being able, they planted these seeds that I've been able to like grow things with. And I just know that there are going to be blooms that come from me, you know, and I don't have to do much, but live, you know, like, and, and allow that living to be the thing that like, allow that living to be the thing. I'm going to take the flower metaphor further that pollinates what comes next. I was in a really beautiful transformative justice training a couple of weeks ago with Rania Al-Mugamar, who I'll, who I'll link in the show notes for those listening. I'll also link Trisha's work as well. And she said something that has stuck with me so deeply, which is like, look, we've been screwing it up for, you know, 200 plus years. If it takes 50 years for us to kind of create the new, the new order, the new world, the new whatever the new way of being and dismantling these systems, then that's okay. Because she, I think she's, she was speaking to exactly what you're speaking to is that if I feel that it, you know, ends with me, then all of a sudden now I'm creating more false urgency. And so I'm just still playing into the system as opposed to, Hey, just living, just thinking, do this work, making the changes that I can holding space, setting boundaries around toxic productivity sharing my thoughts with others like like that's the work and I think we're so trained to think it has to be like a huge thing like I must you know submit a policy document and change legal anti-fatness everywhere and like that falls on me as an individual person here on the earth, as opposed to Yes, that is some people's mission, like the amazing work that was done in New York City recently around ending workplace discrimination based on size. And I also think, I mean, I certainly can feel this where we can use that as a bit of a cop out to doing much of anything. So it's, so when you're saying like, hey, it's about living and trusting those ripples, doing the work, it doesn't have to be huge stuff because then we shy away from huge stuff. But what is the stuff that we can do? Where can we raise our own awareness? I just think that, that makes it a little more accessible for people. Right. And I think like it gives one of the words that I've been really moving with is like sustainability and sustained energy. And that's where I've been like praying for that, <laughs> like, you know, those those pieces, because like if you give a like if i continue to move with the energy that i did in 2020 when i say like i may not be here like 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 just being so burnt out like not being able to show up and do anything right um and so like how do we give ourselves permission to to do the work but with a sustained energy that allows us to continue to do it right and that that's requires a seismic shift in how we imagine what showing up looks like because I even think of some of the things that I've been dreaming around with like rethinking mutual aid and there was all this um urgency during the the, pan- the early parts of the pandemic and uh the summer of 2020 the like I've heard it referred to different things like the uprising or whatever but like where people were like 
you know, and then it dried up. And I remember reading this Twitter that is like Americans are good at like acute action versus like prolonged care. That's not exact words, but basically, you know, and it's because like we, we care through the length of a news cycle and like, it's, I don't think it's about people just being like assholes, like, oh, then they don't care anymore. But it's just like, then like people get burnt out or people get distracted by the next thing. But like, what happens if you don't have to go hard and heavy in the beginning, you know, and you, I did this like experiment on my Instagram account where there was someone who was dealing with housing instability and at the same time that I was. And I was like, what if instead of like people giving like this massive amount in the beginning, like we say for eight weeks, we're going to choose a reasonable number. Like it could be $5 a week and we pull our money together. And we know that this person is going to get $260 every week for like two months. Right. And how does that shift? Because it's not a, and like having that collective energy and like, I was like, that could mean so much in the long run, as opposed to if that person got it all in a lump sum, you know? And I was like, I, I think it's those small, like reminders that like we can commit to something in a way that doesn't have to once again be extractive um and to an extent um i don't want to say performative in this like pejorative way but like you know like in this like i must do it to like prove myself thing versus like i desire to do this like in a way that is rooted and grounded yes yes uh Kelsey, that, I mean, yes, to everything you just said, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That is, that, that feels so much more sustainable, so much more doable and so much more like based in a community of care as opposed to these like flashes in the pan and then on to the next. Yeah. I love that. And I say, when I say it's been a process of experimentation and like tinkering and like I don't know what I'm doing. Like, you know, like, like, you know, but like, what if we just try this? And I think that the, the piece of like experiment is a word that comes up in my work a lot. It's like, because it, we don't have to have it all figured out. And I think of even my, when people talk about like research and science, I was like, as someone who was like a social science major, I was like, y'all don't understand like, that one of the first rules is like, we can't really say that we prove nothing. Like, you know, people like, it's not definitive. Like, like that's the like first thing, right? But people be like, well, like, you know, you got it. Like, so it's, it's always about this like tinkering and looking at variables and like, you know, whatever. And like, I think when we give ourselves permission to not have all the answers up front, you know, and like being willing to be, not even be wrong, but being willing to be like, in a space to pivot and and pause and like reevaluate and actually like no that wasn't in a service of this thing and so i'm going to take a second take a beat and change direction you know because that wasn't i i tried this thing and it didn't work and i think a lot of times folks get caught up on that piece and like well it didn't work and so done you know it didn't work and then i fail and and i think shame is a hell of a drug, you know, like shame is uh, a thing that can really get us caught up in cycles that are so harmful because we don't want to admit that maybe something didn't work. You know, um, maybe we were wrong about something or, or someone or a space that like at one point felt good and now it doesn't, but we feel like we made our bed and we have to lie in it. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's amazing to me that we human, I mean, someday, you know, there's so, oh, it's hard. It's hard to human. It really is. Right? And amidst the challenge of humaning in this world and, and holding space for dreaming and for different futures, I want to talk to you about joy. Kelsey, what is your relationship to joy? 
strive to have it, <laughs> you know, like to embody, you know, and like return to it, right? More than anything, like I think um, creating opportunities to like engage in in frivolous behavior, <laughs> you know, like I, I think like the words, right? And so like, um, because that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with productivity except for like it makes me like happy to be alive you know and i think like when i think of like all the things that, like i keep coming back to like all of the shit that i did during 2020 part of it was sponsored by the fact that like i was taking edibles and being on like hour-long video chats with my homies right like you know like to make it through but like you know like and like doing random <laughs> outside of like all of my insightful wisdom messages on Instagram. I also was doing random reels wearing like blonde wigs and like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> doing dumb shit, you know, like, because that is also part of like what makes me me and like giving myself permission to be a whole human and, and not have this facade of like only you know being a a serious like agent of social justice you know like has been important like play like a lot of my ideas have come up as a result of me doing these side quests like i take myself to the park often with um my yoga bolster and bubbles and like um weed in a journal like that's my like go-to like setup right you know an experience and it and it's because i give myself like i i realize even on a subconscious level not always like on a conscious thing that this is what allows me to be able to even meet ideas right like i think our like so much shit happens when we give ourselves permission to turn our brains off yeah and that's actually backed up by neuroscience i have a whole spiel i do with people with clients about how to actively create that space for the ahas to drop in. And it is often those spaces where we are not, I mean, it has to be in spaces where we're not in active doing mode. And so what you just described at the park with your journals and weeds and bubbles, like that's perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's scary to some folks because it's like, why are we wasting time? You know, like, um, you know, like, or you should, and I've had to work with my therapist and like some of the other like trusted counsel folks in my life of like reminding myself, like, no, that's purposeful. Cause sometimes even me like doing this, I'd be like, oh, I wasn't really doing nothing. I was just like, no, but like that is like factor that in as I think of my, my work life of things that I want to continue to create and like building real authentic relationships of like, this is a part of like, my process like it is not a afterthought like i like this is a crucial part of me being able to show up as a, a whole human that delivers these things that you know are necessary yeah a hundred percent yeah absolutely that's beautiful kelsey thank you and I'm very excited that for this episode's poem, you're going to share one of yours with us. Would you like to read us your poem, Kelsey? And maybe, I don't know if there's a context or if you want to tell us anything about it. I'm just going to turn it over to you. Yeah. So when you brought this up, I was like, what do I want to do? And then this popped out and I was like, okay, uh, I'm learning not to like second guess when like things float to the top, <laughs> you know? Um, but I wrote this piece actually in March of 2020 after hanging out with my friends. It was, I always say it was the last time I hugged somebody like without being like anxious about like, you know, like, um, and I, it's interesting how when I wrote it, I didn't necessarily know what it would mean to me, you know, as the years went by, um, but it's called Before This World Ends. Before this world ends, I return to myself. Damned if I leave without coming back, allowing myself my own having, I will hold myself and call it worth. 
I get to bold and unpunished. I am no longer a shutting down preemptively. I be not think out of just be a knowing of what is required an unequivocal. Yes. Still, of course, with no hesitation or held breath, sarcasm or twisted word. I get to make me too into a sweet song of reciprocity. We will not bear men on survive on the eve of over. I will wholly live in myself, a promise to the forever I enter into. On a gladdest morning, evening, or any time before this life is over, I fly home to me, say, I was always my best option. With so much joy, I find on this side. Mm. Mm, Kelsey, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, I felt that so deeply. What's it like for you to read that? Do you, how do you revisit your work? With like deep gratitude that I captured it, right? Um, I, this is the part, it's in a project that I have called Dream Forget Return. It's a chat book I self-published last year, um, which is just really a collection that I, I threw together that curated itself, <laughs> you know, um, of all these pieces that I wrote during the 2020 and realizing there was this, these through lines that I didn't even know that I was doing while I was just like, you know, living and surviving and, and thinking of this piece as being kind of like the kickoff to the capsule of like me thinking of the concept of world ending uh growing up with religious trauma of the rapture is always around the corner right being this like terrifying thing that's rooted in me but this idea of like and then covid was this like what the fuck is going to happen but like writing this love letter and this promise and this prayer to myself of like these are the things i'm committed to doing and also reimagining the fact that this the, the world my world has literally ended several times and rebuilt itself, you know, like my interior, <laughs> exterior world. And so like, what if I can commit to caring for myself? What, can, what if I could commit to showing up and choosing myself in this moment when, you know, it looks like the crumble is everywhere around me, you know? And I didn't know I was writing any of that shit when it came out, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, you know, and so I I think it it hits me different every time that I I share it and certain lines just jumped out and thinking of like we will not bare minimum survive on the eve of over. Like I don't have to you know. Yeah. Yeah. The eve of over. Mm. I love this. I think I'm I have no words. Thank you for sharing that poem. That was, I felt the power of that. I'm so honored that you read it to us. Of course, I'm going to include all your links in the episode show notes. Everyone, please go check out Kelsey. Kelsey, oh my gosh. <sighs> this was a dream. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to have had this time with you. Your delight. Me too. This is a really beautiful I'm going to journal about the all of the, the through lines that are coming through in this moment for me. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so thank you for facilitating. Oh, thank you. Thing. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon. Bye.